I cry every time I watch that. Guys, how are we doing? Are we good? Are we going to have a good night of church tonight? Let me hear you. Let's hear it. Okay. That's what I like. I'll accept it. You guys look good. You look ready. Men, you look able. So that's good. This has been an awesome series so far. Have you guys enjoyed it? For real. It's been so good. Chad and Ryan absolutely crushed it over the past couple weeks. So wouldn't want to be the guy to follow them. That's cool. I'm kidding. I'm up for the challenge. I'm excited. Here's where we're going tonight. I'll tell you right off the bat. One of our worship leaders, Corey Miller, he always says this, and I love it. He says, biblical prophesying is telling the future what the word of God says about the future. And tonight, that's what I want to do. I want to tell your future what the creator of the universe just so happens to say about your future. I want to tell the man the man that you are in the world's eyes about the man that you are in God's eyes, amen? Better yet, I wanna, I wanna teach you how to speak that God kind of truth over your own life because at the end of the day, and catch this, the most important preacher in your life is you. It's you at the end of the day. Nobody talks to you more than you do, right? And the things that you say about yourself to yourself are important. Like, are you your own worst critic or are you your own best Preacher, because here's what I can promise you. Your life is going to head in the direction of the things that you choose to believe. So what I mean by that is like tomorrow morning, if you wake up like, uh, another morning, probably going to be a long, boring day. I'll probably be exhausted, won't get anything done, will be so ineffective. Then you're probably going to have a long, boring, ineffective day where you get nothing done tomorrow because your life heads in the direction of what you believe to be true. So if you believe that God is mad at you for whatever reason, you're going to live an exhausting life trying to make that up to him somehow. If you believe that being a man of God was supposed to be easy for whatever reason, you're going to live a whole life wondering why it's not, shaking your fist at God for not giving you something he never promised to give you in the first place, right? If you believe for whatever reason that God can't use you and you don't have a purpose and you don't have a calling and you choose to follow that belief system your whole life, you will live an ineffective life and simultaneously deprive a future family in a world full of broken people of your love, of your leadership, of your resources, and your strength. And so it's important that you believe and receive the truth that God says about you. How? By becoming your own most important preacher. Because speaking your faith is what activates your faith. Amen? By speaking your faith, you activate your faith. And so the title of this message, if you're taking notes, and I just recommend taking notes tonight, and that's not arrogant. I'm just really confident in the words that God has given to me to share with all of you. The title of this message is, I am able. I am able. And it's at the top of the uh, sheet or the, the cardstock thing that was on your chair when you walked in here. And uh, right beneath that are basically 10 mini sermons complete with scripture and everything. And tonight, we're going to learn how to preach all 10 of these things, okay? So this is for every single person, man and woman in this room. We're walking out of here tonight, able. We're walking out of here tonight, ready. We're walking out of here tonight, telling our futures what God says about our futures. Because I don't care what the world has said about you. I don't care what your parents just so happen to think about you. I don't care about the negative things you think and say about yourself. No offense, although I like you and I think you're pretty cool, and although the world is pretty big and intimidating, and although your parents are probably smart, 
smart when it comes to truth. I really don't care what you or them happen to think or feel about truth. When it comes to truth, I'm probably going to side with the author of all things. And the author of all things happens to say this about you. So you ready? We're going to go through 10. In seminary, they teach you how to write a three-point sermon. I've never been to seminary, so I wrote a 10-point sermon tonight. So we'll see how it goes. Okay, number one, here we go. I am redeemed and ready with no shame and no condemnation. I am redeemed and ready with no shame or condemnation. There is not a better way to start your day than by reminding your inconsistent self about God's consistency, right? Because things like shame and guilt and condemnation have a sneaky way of hijacking your day before you even eat your bowl of Wheaties in the morning, men, right? Shame and guilt just seem to come in. Like, you know that song, Jesus paid it 90%. I'll work really hard to make up for the other 10. Sin makes me feel so much shame and I deserve it all. You're laughing because it's ridiculous because we'll never sing that song in this church because that's not what God says about you. Now, that might be what you feel sometimes about yourself. That might be how you choose to live way more often than you'd probably care to admit, but that's not God. Jesus is enough and his grace is free. You are redeemed and you are ready and you need to never pay any of it back. All you need to worry about doing is preaching this truth to yourself every single day because you are prone as a human being to forget it. You do have a tendency to forget this truth, but you are redeemed and you are ready. You're just prone to forget it. Like, what do you do in the immediate aftermath of messing up? Like, when you screw up royally for the hundredth time, and you think, gosh, I'm a 20-something man of God. I should be past this by now, right? Like, in that moment, do you confidently approach the throne of grace like a little kid running to his dad? Or if we're being honest, do you kind of steer clear from God because you're like, oh, he's got to be like a little pissed off at me at this point, you know? Like, let's just be honest. Like, you'll never run to his wide open arms unless you become your own best preacher, and remind your logical brain about the illogical grace of our God. Remind your logical brain about the illogical grace of our God. It really is that good. There really is no shame or condemnation or guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's really not. And so I remind myself of that, and I say, God, I know I'm not perfect. Thank God that you never required perfection from me. I'm trusting that you're going to get me there. I'm trusting that he who began the good work is going to be faithful to carry on to completion. Jesus, you paid it all. You paid it 100%. And my sin today is simply not a problem for you. I am redeemed and ready with no shame and no condemnation. Number two, I lay my life down for those who need it just like Jesus. God has designed and called men to lay their lives down for those they love, those they lead, anybody weaker than they are. Translation, anybody who needs them to. This is Ephesians 5 in action. Go read it this week. There's a pastor I love. His name's Scott. He's now a pastor in Kentucky. He told a story a while ago that has always stuck with me. He said, when I was a five-year-old little boy, 
I was walking down the sidewalk next to a very busy street in oncoming traffic. I was walking with my aunt and we came up to an intersection and we stopped and she looked me in the eyes and she said, Scott, right now I'm standing between you and the oncoming traffic, but there's going to come a day where you'll be walking on the sidewalk with a girlfriend and then maybe one day a wife and one day with kids. And every time from now on, you're going to be the one who stands between them and oncoming traffic. And he remembered like as a five-year-old little kid, he remembered deep in his heart going, yeah, that makes perfect sense. As a five-year-old. Why? Because that's in him. That's in you. That's in me. That's in us as men, right? Like if I'm walking my wife to her car after YA tonight and some guy in a lifted F-150, because let's, let's just be honest, it's always a lifted F-150 for some reason. Like he just like slams on his brakes, get out of, gets out of his car with like a baseball bat and starts charging us. If my default gut reaction in that moment is, babe, you got this. Like every guy in this room, look at me. You got this, right? I don't care if you're six foot eight. I don't care if you're five foot one, 105 pounds. If she's stronger, tougher, cooler, smarter, she might be all of those things. You've got this. Why? Because the picture God gives us in that picture, you are Jesus. And Jesus stood between us in danger. And now we're called to do the same, to be like him, laying down our feelings, our safety, our rights, and sometimes even our lives for those who need us to. Just to get real, like during the Las Vegas shooting, which was a, a night from hell, in the footage, all you see as bullets are just spraying are men covering women with their bodies. It's heroism. It's acting like Jesus in the most selfless and honorable way. We needed Jesus' life, and so he gave it. And so we as men are called to do the same in every meaning of what it means to give your life for something or for someone. I lay my life down for those who need it, just like Jesus. Number three, I'm not hurried or worried. It even rhymes, and neither is God. I'm not hurried or worried and neither is God. To be honest with you, this is the biggest sermon I have to preach to myself every single day because I wake up every day hurried and worried and I need to remind myself and preach to myself that if God's not worried about the parking problem at the Lakewood campus, then I probably don't need to be worried about the parking problem at the Lakewood campus. If God's not in a hurry, in a rush with his crazy to-do list and his crazy schedule trying to conquer the world, then I probably don't need to be either, right? Like some of us, if you're like me, you need to learn you need to learn this new function they have on your iPhone you just hold you hold that side button down I stole this example and this comes up and all you do watch this you know how good that feels you know how good like you get front row seats to observe the fact that the world does not blow up because you're not available to it for a couple of hours and it feels wonderful. I'm not as important as I thought I was. I was never needed in the first place. I'm wanted. And because of that, I should not be hurried or worried. If God's not, I'm not gonna be. You need to take a deep breath and choose this peace that Jesus talks about, this illogical peace that transcends understanding that is available to you in every season of your life, right? So the best season of your life and those seasons where you are walking through hell, peace that transcends understanding, peace that doesn't make sense is available to you. You can take that to the bank. That's in red letters in your Bible. But here's what I've learned about this peace. It's a decision way before it's a feeling. 
a decision that you make over and over and over and over until you begin to experience it. Choose it, speak it, activate it by preaching this truth to yourself. If God's not hurried or worried, then I don't have to be hurried or worried either. Number four, I am increasing in character, favor, and influence. We get one verse about what happens in the life of Jesus between the age of 12 and 29, his young adult years. It's Luke chapter, fi- chapter 2, verse 52, and it says, Jesus spent his young adult years, I-, I threw that in there, I love that, thinking about Jesus as a young adult, going to Nazareth YA, which was awesome. Like, you think this one is awesome, man, NYA, that was booming, probably because Jesus was there. That's a horrible joke. Thank you for your grace. Jesus spent his young adult years growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And if that's what Jesus did, that's what we should be doing in our young adult years as well. Welcome anything that is gonna increase your character, the favor of God on your life, or your influence. So storms, valleys, pain, trials, These things do nothing but increase my favor. And when valleys come my way, I'm not gonna set up shop and make camp and have a pity party in the middle of the valley. I'm gonna stand up and with Jesus right next to me, I'm gonna walk and I'm gonna walk until I walk completely out of that valley stronger than how I went into it because it's increasing my character. Sacrifice increases the favor of God on your life. And there's nothing you want more than the hand of God resting on your life. There's a difference between God's love and God's favor. His love is free and never changes. His favor, however, you do not get without sacrifice. And I can go without so that others can go with. And when it comes to influence, I want to be the kind of man of God that God can trust with the small things because the more he can trust me with the small things, the more he's going to begin to trust me with the bigger things and increase my influence. And when I say influence, I'm not talking about fame. I'm not talking about popularity. Those things are cheap. Those things are temporary. Those things will be gone tomorrow. I'm talking about something better and more eternal. Influence, the ability to change this world for the kingdom and reach lost and broken people on this planet and be a part of something that's eternal and bear fruit in my life personally that'll be around long after I'm gone. And anything that's gonna increase any of those things, bring it, bring it. I am increasing in character, in favor, and influence. Number five, I am calm, strong, and courageous. I welcome the unknown. I'm calm, I'm strong, I'm courageous. And I welcome the unknown. I've told this story before. It's just too good not to tell again. A few years ago, I was watching The World's Strongest Man on ESPN 7, wherever it was on. And I was just like trying to get pumped up to go to the gym or something awesome like that. And uh, the numbers have probably changed. But at the time, the strongest man in the world could bench press 1,115 pounds. Think about that for a second. That's like 650 more than what I bench. That's ridiculous. I can't even fathom bench pressing 1,115 pounds. That's just stupid, right? It's impressive. You want to know what's more impressive than that? Is this guy's wife bench presses 405 pounds. All right? Like, you go, girl. She bench presses 405 pounds. That's something I can't even think. That's like ridiculously impressive. They have kids, too. And I don't, I don't know how much their kids bench press. 
But if I had to guess, they're not the kind of kids who are getting their lunch money stolen from them on the playground at school. Like that would just like, those kids aren't the kids who are scared to death walking down the hallway of second grade, right? Like that would just look weird. It just looks funny to think like if you're at the park, like feeding ducks and you look over to the playground and you see the world's strongest family hanging out, world's strongest dad and mom, and then their little kids who are too afraid to go down the slide and too afraid to do the monkey bars. You're looking at that and you're like pretending to feed the ducks while you're like trying to get it, like trying to Snapchat it because it's just such a ridiculous image. It just looks weird when, when that's their parents and they can't go down a slide at the playground, right? And I guess the point I'm trying to make is, you guys, every man in here, you are a son of the most powerful being who has ever existed. From cover to cover, the Bible is a story of a being who does whatever he wants, whenever he wants to do it, and nobody can tell him what to do or push him around. And it just looks weird when we're scared. It just looks weird when that's our dad. And when we're faced with the unknown or the future, our default setting is paralysis before action. It just looks weird. God commands us in Joshua 1.9, be strong and be courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now as men, because we're human beings, human beings, we are creatures of habit, Right? We're creatures of the known. We love the known because it's familiar. There's no fear involved in the known. But God did not save you and call you and equip you so that you could stay the same. We didn't come this far as a young adult ministry so we could start playing it safe now, right? I didn't marry my beautiful wife three and a half years ago so we could shift our relationship and mission into neutral and just coast all cozy and comfortable through life in our home while outside of our walls, the world is dying and people get just, they need to know Jesus. Like we're not, like God's not gonna let you get away with that. We come too far to play it safe. You're not called so you could stay the same. You're not called for that. Remember this right here. If you're gonna write something down, make it this. In every season of your life, especially transitional periods, there is no better place to be, no safer place to be either than right smack in the middle of God's will. Even if his will is right in the middle of the unknown, not a better place to be. So whatever God's calling you to do, if he calls you to go, if he's calling you to stay, if he's calling you to speak up, if he's calling you to shut up, if he's calling you to stay at your job, if he's calling you to go start that business, if he's calling you to get out of that relationship like tonight, if he's calling you to go ask that girl out that you've been crushing on for a year out like tonight, if he's calling you to go to that mission field, if he's calling you to go plant that church or write that book, whatever he's calling you to do, trust me, you want to be wherever God is trying to get you to go. There is not a better place to be than right smack in the middle of his will. And you might not feel strong, calm, and courageous all the time, but I promise you it's in you because he put it in you. You just need to speak it and activate it and watch as you begin to learn how to elevate your faith above your fears. You are calm. You are strong. You are courageous. Why? Because God is with you wherever you go. You are your best preacher. You are your best source of encouragement that is on you as a maturing Christian to be that for yourself. I am calm. I am strong. I am courageous. And I welcome the unknown. Because here's the thing, that, that friend of yours is not always gonna send you that text of encouragement every time you need it. 
That pastor is not always gonna be there to preach that inspiring message over you every time you need it, right? You are your best preacher now and source of encouragement because everywhere you go, there you are. And if you're your best preacher, he's with you, she's with you everywhere. Number six, my maker made no mistakes. I walk in confidence. I love that. My maker made no mistakes and I walk in confidence. God made you and God does not make mistakes. Maybe you love sports, maybe you love art, maybe you love hunting, maybe you love music. Own it because God made you that way. We need athletes, we need poets, but we need godly ones and we need passionate ones. Big salaries and lifted F-150s don't make you a man. (laughs) Character makes you a man. Musical success, degrees, those things don't make you a man. Sacrifice makes you a man. Your integrity does. God in you does. Own who God made you and do it with passion and do it with integrity. And remember this, we are not called to be arrogant. There's no room for arrogance in the kingdom of God, right? Like we all understand that. We're all here tonight because we got saved because we couldn't save ourselves. Therefore, the only thing we have to boast in is Jesus. No room for arrogance, but you better believe that you need to be confident in who God made you to be because he does not make mistakes. Like men in here, you need to start blasting that Bruno Mars song. You need to walk into your bathroom, into the mirror, Stare at yourself right in the mirror and start singing. Doug, you're amazing just the way you are. Fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together in your mother's womb, made in the image of God. He knows the plans he has for me, says him, and they are good. Right? It's that easy. That's all you have to do. Thank you, Zach. It's not arrogance. That's confidence in who he made you. When you think negatively about yourself, when you talk negatively, negatively about yourself, you ought to be careful about how you talk about somebody else's work. You are his masterpiece. Like ladies in this room, you should be standing in front of your mirror, looking yourself straight in the eyes and singing the chorus to T-Swift's new song over your life. You know what, mirror? I am freaking gorgeous. I am beautiful. Look at that face. I can't say anything to that face, right? Because that's true. Own who God made you because he made you perfect. He makes no mistakes. One gift is much when God is in it. One talent is much when God is in it. And so I'm not gonna play small. Playing small when it comes to who God made you to be in your giftings does nobody any good. I will walk in confidence. My maker made no mistakes when he made me. Number seven, I smile at resistance because I am dangerous to the devil. I smile at resistance, man, because I am dangerous to the devil. In the words of the great psalmist, Kelly Clarkson, what does not kill you makes you stronger, stand a little taller. Ah, it's so true, it's so good. You go, Kelly, preach it. Spiritual resistance, all it means is that hell is not a big fan of you. And that's not the worst thing in the world. Usually when you start to step out or when you try the Great Commission, 
Or when you start to get a sense of what God is calling you to do or who he's, who he's telling you that you are, you start to feel resistance. It's not a bad thing. Smile at it because it probably means that you're on the devil's most wanted list and you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing and you're closer to breakthrough than you know. And so keep praying until something happens. Keep leaning into God until something changes. And any bit of resistance that comes your way, smile at it and then do what God says anyway. And, by, and at the same time, you'll be given a middle finger to the devil as you do it is exactly what you'll be doing. And you'll say, devil, you might be frustrating me. You might be slowing me down. But at the end of all of this, you know the ending. You lose the war because of Jesus. He made sure of that. And every day that you come back with some resistance against me, I'm going to remind you that you are one day closer to an eternity in hell. And you could harm me. You could even kill me. But guess what? I still win and you still lose because of the blood of Jesus. Come back tomorrow and I'll remind you again tomorrow. I smile at resistance because I am dangerous to the devil. Say, thank you for the compliment. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing because apparently it's working because apparently you don't like it too much. Number eight, prisons from my past are now platforms for my future. Prisons from my past have now become platforms for my future. Carl Lentz said it this way. If your past did not kill you, then now you get to use it. Prisons from your past are now platforms for your future. And I know I'm supposed to say this tonight. If you're in here and you've been living in a prison of addiction, whether it's drug addiction or alcohol addiction or pornography or shame or bitterness and unforgiveness addicted to that, and you've been sitting in a, in a prison cell, for far too long. Keep coming back. Keep your chin up. You have a home at this church. The battle is not over. You will get through this and you will find freedom and you will stand up and walk out of your prison and choose to stand on top of it and use it as a platform to tell the rest of the world about the time that you used to be an addict until the grace of God. Let me tell you a story about Jesus. That is your testimony very, very soon. I'm speaking that over your future right now in the name of Jesus. It is for free Freedom that he sets you free and who the son sets free is free indeed because I'll tell you what we can't afford we can't afford to have any more men sitting in prison cells for years for the rest of their lives the prison cells that have been unlocked by the blood of Jesus it's time to make the devil pay what he meant for evil you flip that and you use it for good you walk out of that cell and you stand on top of that and make it your platform and you make the devil pay for every loved one in your life that he took too soon by repaying him with a hundred people that are going to know Jesus. You make the devil pay for that night those drugs didn't kill you. You make the devil pay for every day, every week, every year that you lived under the, under the trap of bitterness and unforgiveness. You make him pay and you use that as a platform to say, world, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about a God who has not given up on you no matter how many times you've messed up. Let me tell you about a God whose grace truly is this amazing. Let me tell you about this same God who wants that relationship with you and has freedom for you. The gate is open. The jail cell is unlocked. Prisons from your past are now going to become platforms for your future. Your past didn't kill you. Now you get to use it. You're this close to such a powerful testimony because this isn't about you at the end of it anyways. 
There are so many people who need you to get that powerful testimony so they can believe that it's true and possible for them as well. Prisons from my past are now platforms for my future. Number nine, I'm chosen and called and I live like it. So there's living called is way different than just living saved. When you live like you're called, you live every single day like you have purpose for being alive, like you have meaning, like God really does have plans for your future, like you really are a part of something bigger than yourself, like there really is a mission, like there really are eternities at stake in this world. That is what it looks like to live called. Living called means living a life that demands an explanation. As men and women, Christians, our lives should look different than the rest of the world from the outside looking in because we're living for something different than what they're living for. You do have purpose. You do have meaning. You do have a calling on your life. He does have plans for your future. You are a part of a story so much bigger than you'll ever know. And you do live like you believe it's true. I'm telling your future what the word of God says about you. You do live like you believe it's true. And if you're in here and you were to argue and say, well, actually, I don't really live like I believe it's true. So that's not true for me. Point nine is not true for me. Okay. Start telling your future about point nine. Start telling who you are, your spirit and your future about what the word of God says about who you are. Be your best preacher. It's not that you don't have a calling or a purpose. It's just that every time God tries to bring you into it, you somehow manage to talk yourself out of it. But if you talk yourself out of it, then you can talk yourself back into it by being your best preacher, by being your ultimate source of encouragement. I am chosen. I am called, whether I feel it or not, because I live by what's true, not by what I feel. I'm chosen and I'm called, and today I live like it's true. And finally, number 10, I will finish strong. I will finish strong. This for me has been sobering recently. I'll tell you why in a second, but here's what I've noticed about my own life. I used to get so fired up and so pumped watching people take like huge leaps of faith into the unknown, into something they know God is calling them into, like to start like that church or to, to go on that trip or to, to like begin that relationship or enter that mission field or like, or start that job, like that company, whatever it is. Like it used to fire me up so much to, pe- to see people start things, but it's really, to me, it's like not that impressive anymore because I've seen it. I've done it. It's cool, don't get me wrong, but it's no longer amazing to me. You know what is amazing is, is seeing people finish the things that they start, because that's a lot less common as watching people finish, I don't know, projects God gives them, conversations they know they're supposed to have over a certain period of time, a step-by-step process to break free from prison cells and stand on top of it, to use it as a platform, starting relationships, marriages, like, great. You know, I'm like, awesome. I wanna see you finish it. Because I, I, heard, I, I heard a pastor say this this past week and it, I disagreed with it at first. He said this, he was talking about um, Christian men specifically. And he said, and when it comes to Christian men, one out of 10 And he has like statistics and stuff, whatever to back this up. One out of 10 finish strong. And I'm not talking about going to heaven or not. 
all of us going to heaven because of Jesus. He's our ticket in. That's all you need is the blood of Jesus. I'm talking about finishing your race like Hebrews 12 talks about. Your faith is a race. Shake off everything that's hindering you and run with endurance. But one out of 10 men finish strong. And he was even saying, he's like, I had this group of guys when I was younger, when I was in my 20s. And I was like, all of us, man, we're gonna shatter those statistics. We're gonna finish strong. And he wrote down the name of 24 guys in the back of his Bible. And he said, I've gotten phone call after phone call over the years and email after email. And I've had to go in my Bible and it breaks my heart and it makes me cry, but I've had to put a line through so many names. And it's now 30 years later. And there's three left out of 24 that we started with. Three left. And I'm thinking, we can, be, we can do better than that. We can beat those statistics any day, any day. I believe in this generation. I believe in you as men. I believe the women in here who are so capable and able to inspire us to play the roles that God has given us to finish strong for the influence and the dent that we can make on this world, for the fruit that we're gonna bear that's gonna outlive our lives, to finish strong. I have a, a really, I have a core group or a life group from college, eight guys who to this day are my brothers. And every year, every fall, we, we all live in different states, but we still make it a point to get together and do a, a life group reunion for a weekend. And we have fun and uh, we goof around and stuff like that, but we also take it seriously. And we spend like an hour to two hours per person going around and checking in and talking about life and talking about like, it's your annual update for how you are doing in life and spiritually. And here's what I noticed. Um, all anybody's update was, was just the sum total of every small decision and pattern that they made throughout the year. That's all their big annual update was. There were no huge things. It was just the sum total of all the small things, like reading your Bible one time and saying, I didn't really get anything out of it. Yeah, you probably didn't get anything out of it. Reading it like, it's like brushing your teeth once. Not that big of a difference, right? But in one year, reading the whole Bible, you better believe you're gonna have a different annual core group check-in if you spent the whole year reading through the entire Bible. One time, sure, whatever. Miss brushing your teeth one time, whatever. Miss brushing your teeth 250 times throughout the year, you're gonna need some help. <laughs> it's just small disciplines every single day. That's what I've noticed about like running your race. I ran a, a marathon with my little brother a few years ago. We shouldn't have done it. We did it on a dare because we wanted to uh, cross that off of our bucket lists. And we started training four weeks out. And so this Sunday we'd run for an hour. The next Sunday we'd run for two hours and then we break all week. And then we ran for three hours on this Sunday. And then the next Sunday was the marathon that was about four hours if you don't stop. And even on the Sunday before, it was supposed to be three hours of running nonstop. My brother and I split off away from each other and I got tired like five minutes into it and I hopped on a bus and took the bus. I didn't even run back to our house. And I told him, I didn't tell my brother until like a couple years ago about this story. That marathon was hell for me. It was four hours. We made it without stopping only because I had my brother next to me and we wouldn't let each other quit. But it was four hours of nothing but complete endurance, complete endurance. And it was one little step at a time. Crossing that finish line is made up of a bunch of little steps, 26.2 miles. That I, I'll never do that again, man. I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> that. 
I like couldn't walk, literally. I was so sore, I could not walk. Even, I got like three days later, I got up to go to class and I like walked like this all the way to campus. And then I came to like a set of 10 stairs and I stared at those stairs for like 10 minutes before I turned around and I, I, I like logically concluded, I, I can't get up those. I genuinely can't get up those, so I have to walk home. That's how stupid this was, but that's what I learned. It's about crossing the finish line. Anytime you talk to anybody who's ran a marathon or any kind of race, you only talk about the finish line. That's all you talk about. If you can't finish that, there's no point to even starting it. One out of 10, but not this generation, man. Small disciplines, shaking off the things that hinder you, the sin that entangles you, and running your race like you believe there's a prize waiting for you, not to earn salvation, but to increase in character and favor and influence. I will finish strong. I will finish strong. I don't care what the rest of the world does. I will finish strong. I will pray that my friends do the same. Ladies in here, pray that your husbands finish strong. Pray for it. You are now your most important preacher in your life. After tonight, you are now the most important source of encouragement in your life because they're not always gonna send you that text message when you need it. You're not always gonna have a poem from God in a sunrise experience where he parts the clouds and speaks a vision to you every time you need it. Sometimes that happens. We get sermons where something is spoken to us or God says things like through friends or through whatever. But then God's saying, okay, I've spoken it over you. Now you need to learn as a maturing Christian to speak it over yourself. Speak your faith to activate your faith. I am redeemed and ready with no shame or condemnation. I do lay my life down for those who need it, just like Jesus. I'm not hurried or worried today because neither is my God. I am increasing in character, favor, and influence every single day. I am calm, I am strong, I am courageous, and I welcome the unknown. My maker made no mistakes, and so that's why I can walk in confidence. I smile at resistance. I'm dangerous to the devil. Prisons from my past are now platforms for my future. I have purpose and a calling and I live like it's true. And last but certainly not least, I will finish strong. Speak it and activate it until it makes the trip from here to here and becomes a part of who you are, not just information that you know. This is a generation that will change the world. Men in here, I believe in you. This church believes in you. The women in here believe in you. Being a man of God ain't for the faint of heart. It's no easy task that he has given us, but he promises to go with us every step of the way. And every time you need motivation or an example, look no further than Jesus Christ, who stood between us and danger who gave his life for us, who did all of these things on this list, who made a way for us to be able to say this about ourselves and with full integrity, not lying about any of it. Tell your future what the word of God says in the name of Jesus Christ. Tell your future what the creator of the universe just so happens to say about your future in the name of Jesus Christ. Would you guys stand up? Let's pray and then we're gonna worship. God, we love you so much. I thank you for every person in this room. God, you believe in us. You believe in us, and that counts way more than, than anything else. I pray, I pray that these 10 mini sermons, God, 
would make the trip into our hearts and become internalized into our very spirits and become a part of who we are until we believe with all the integrity on the world in the world that everything on this card is true. This is what you say about us. So with the power that you give us, with the spirit of God that lives in us, we speak it over ourselves. Let these truths become activated in this ministry. I pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. Red Rocks Young Adults, let's worship.